Before we get started, I want to talk about sponsors that help make this show possible. I've partnered with swimming companies that can serve our international audience. I'm giving away not one, but two Swim Nerd Pace Clocks on the first night of US Olympic trials. Find the link in the show notes to enter. One of the best ways to build power in the pool is by using a tower. I got introduced to Chuck Destro. Because of the way Chuck designed them, they can break down and ship in a much smaller box so they can ship anywhere in the world for a reasonable price. Use code BRETT at checkout and save $150 on a double swim tower. That means if you order two, you can save $300. Order four, save $600. Go to destromachines.com to get your team stronger in the water today. Looking to host your first swim meet or replacing an old timing system? Run a swim meet with ease from your laptop using superior swim timing. You can use superior swim timing with your existing equipment, or they can provide you with a complete timing solution, including deck harnesses, buttons, and starter. SST is fully compatible with HiTech and Team Unify, as well as Colorado, Dactronics, and Amiga touchpads. Go to superiorswimtiming.com to learn more and be sure to tell them I sent you. Okay, Dara Torres, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Where are you coming from now? I'm in Delray Beach, Florida. So I lived in Massachusetts for about six years and couldn't deal with the cold. So came back down here. I'm very happy to be in the warm weather, but my daughter hates it. She wants to be back up north. So we have a little argu- yeah. arguing going every now and then, but I'm just glad to be back down here. What does she hate about that and wants to go back there for? You know, I think she's just a cold weather person and I'm not like... I want to be outside and do things, and um, she likes to be in the snow and be cold. So we uh, definitely are different ends of the spectrum with that. But you know, she she gets to play lacrosse year round, so she's enjoying that. But she just likes the cold weather for some reason. Yeah. Okay. I get it. All right. Well, listen. Let's just set the record straight uh, straight off the bat. You're are you you're not competing at the trials this year, right? No. <laughs> you kidding me? I'm in menopause now. I don't need to be competing. No, I'm just kidding. But you know, I. Uh, what what I realized is at my last Olympic trials uh, in 2012, I was 45 and I just, I couldn't recover. Even if I was swimming just one lap, I, I every time I went to a swim meet before trials, my prelims time, no matter how easy it felt, was always faster than my finals time. And I just, I couldn't get my body to recover to swim in finals. So it was really a challenge for me to be able to make it into finals and do as well as I did just at you know, at the trials, just because I, I, I couldn't do it year round. So it was really tough. Yeah. Well, look, in researching this and just kind of digging into you and your career a little bit, I mean, there's there's nobody like you, obviously. I mean, you know that. There's, there's, there's nothing that you did that anybody else has done that you could say you could compare it to. So, you know, I think I think if anyone was going to look at how they could get longevity over a long period of time, they, they certainly need to study, you know, your progression over the years i mean being uh, an olympian at age 17 in 84 and then competing in your last olympics i believe what was that beijing at 41 is that correct yeah. uh-huh so i mean what what do you see i mean you but you're basically getting the same result as a 17 or 41 year old but you're doing completely different things right 
Yeah, you know, it, it, I think there's a lot to it. Um, and there's also some pl- simplicity too. I think the biggest thing is, you know, I had I had coaches when I was younger, like Mark Schubert and Randy Reese, who were just brutal. I mean, you know, Mark wasn't as bad as Randy, but uh, we did a lot of yardage. And um, I think in the long run, that really helped me. Um, obviously, I don't think that's the right way to train. And when I did train a lot of yardage, I broke down very quickly and I wasn't swimming fast. So I came from where I broke my first world record when I was 15 years old in the 50 freestyle and then went to college and could barely get into the finals except for the one year that randy didn't coach me the assistant coach coached me and we didn't do like a ton of yardage and i just feel like i was probably always just broken down and tired and that's why i didn't swim well when i was younger but that's in retrospect when it was happening i just thought i was getting older and and couldn't swim and just die at the end of my races and that's just the way it was so when i took those years off. I, I had retired after college, took a couple of years off before I came back for 92. Then I took seven years off, came back uh, in 99 to train for 2000 and, and did my best times ever um, and had a coach who really uh, knew about recovery. It was Richard Quick, really knew how to recover and what the body could and couldn't do. So that helped me. And then when I came back at um, you know, 39 years old and decided, I just had my daughter and decided to train for a couple of years for uh, 2008. Um, you know, I just, I did things a lot differently. Um, I didn't pound the yardage. It was very hard for me mentally to sort of figure out how to do this because I remember going to practice and then I was supposed to come back for afternoon practice and I just, I was exhausted and I'm like, oh my God, I can't do this. And then I thought, okay, well maybe it's just because I'm getting back into training again, having just had a daughter. And so that I tried it again. And I just, I couldn't come back and swim the second workout. So really what it came down to is listening to my body and doing what was best for me. And so, um, Michael Loberg, who was my coach had a background in physiology. So he really knew also what the body could and couldn't do. And he would do the lactic acid testing and see really what worked best for me. And really what worked best as I got older was the less I did, the better. And I, I changed my training around as far as the drawing line training went. I came from the old school where the heavier weights you lift in the, in the weight room, the stronger you are in the water. And that might've been good when I was younger, but I'd sink like a rock if I did that. I had to sort of elongate my muscles and do stuff that was gonna mimic my stroke in the pool and not worry about heavy lifting, but worry more about doing body weight type stuff, using your core a lot, just doing a lot of different um, exercises in the gym that would help uh, make me more efficient in the pool. And then I had um, stretching trainers that helped me with my recovery where I'd stretch, you know, at least three times a week and at swim meets when I go to swim meets. So things were a lot different, but I think the hardest thing for me was wrapping my head around the fact that I couldn't do what the kids were doing because I thought, well, if I can't do what they're doing, how am I going to make an Olympic team? And that mentally sort of played with mm. me. And I had to sort of reprogram my head and be like, okay, yeah, I'm not doing what they're doing, but my body isn't like theirs because they're in their teens and twenties and I'm in my forties. And so I have to sort of do something, reprogram my, my head to know that it's okay to do what's best for me and not what the other kids are doing. Great stuff. I love that analysis, by the way. And, and there's so much to unpack there because you swam for so many years. So the, the Muscle memory. Yeah, there's a lot of that. But guess what? I got a little surprise for you. So one of your mentors was Richard Quick, and Richard was one of my mentors as well. And I only remember this today, believe me. But I have your logbook from the year 2000. 
Oh my and, um, gosh. I just opened it. My producer was actually like, what did she do today? 21 years ago. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what you did today. 21 years ago. Okay. <laughs> um, so basically it was the main, the main set was four fifties on two minutes, best average. And you held 27s long course, four fifties on two minutes, best average. It's pretty good. Not bad. You know, is what? that your handwriting? Yeah, that, that's, uh, that is actually, um, that's my writing. Yeah. There he it had is. us do um, a lot of fast stuff with a lot of recovery, uh, trying to hold best times and practices. And, yeah. um, you know, it, it, and it's funny because Mark Schubert did that too, but in a little bit of a different way, He'd give us a lot of rest in between. And Mark really wasn't a distance coach. He, I mean, wasn't a sprint coach. He was right. obviously a, a distance coach. So it was kind of new for him, but he really did a good job with that too. But yeah, Richard, we did like, there were like two or three days that were designated for fast swimming. Uh, not a lot of yardage, but definitely fast swimming. We had recovery days. We did drills every single workout. We got in and warmed up, did a, um, a either a, a kick set or would get right into the drills, always did drills every single practice. So he yeah. was very, um, very heavy on making sure that we were doing the stroke correct. Did you always record your workouts? Was that something you did? No, I, I only did it when I trained with Richard. Right. And it's weird because I never thought that I would be back swimming again. In fact, I remember I got out of my last race in Sydney and he came up to me and he said, Derry, he said, you know, what's so sad. I'm like, what? And he said, you haven't reached your potential yet. I'm like, what are you talking about? I said, I'm 33 years old. Of course I've reached my potential. He's and, and he saw it in me and I didn't know what he was talking about. I thought he was crazy for saying that because yeah. as you know, back then in 2000, like 33 was considered very old. So, um, you know, I'll never forget that, that he said that and that I was able to come back and, and train for another Olympics. And in retrospect, you know, I, I can, I really thank Richard for his, his knowledge and, and what he believed in, in me. By the way, these aren't mine. Um, th these are yours. So if you want them back, I'll, I'll gladly send yeah, them. So how you. do you have them? I, I guess I gave them to Richard because I was like, yeah, I'm done swimming. You can have them. <laughs> I guess so. So, you know, obviously Richard passed away very quickly. It was, it was sudden, yeah. you know, the whole um, episode with his um, brain tumor came on very quickly. And, um, and so, you know, I took over the coaching. I was his assistant coach at Auburn at the time, and I took over the coaching while he was ill. And then uh, obviously when he passed away very quickly, I, I said to June, like, look, I have a lot of swimming stuff in the office. What do you want me to do with it? She said, just keep it. And uh, so I ended up just packing in boxes. And as I was going through it, I remember looking and, and say, saying to myself, oh, wow, there's Dara Torres' whole Olympic campaign for 2000, you know, and all the workouts were there. And it was just super interesting to me. I was, I was flipping through the workouts. I just remembered in the back of my mind that I had that that log, and then, and then I was talking to my producer today, and I said Dara's coming on, and and uh, and then it just clicked. I was like, oh, I've got the log books in the back. I might pull those <laughs> down, tell her what she did today. So nice. that's what you did 21 years ago. But um, there's some interesting stuff. I was disappointed though. You have you had you, you went into a second book. There's two books here, by the way. And uh, you went all the way up to about a month out of the of the Sydney Olympics, and then you stopped. So I didn't get your taper. I was I was bummed that I didn't get your taper in there. Oh yeah, I don't know. You know, and it's funny. Part of that from like January till whenever the month before is, um, I was training by myself, either with Richard or I went and trained with the Santa Clara men's team. You know, the postgraduates because you know Jen, Jenny had me kicked off the team, as did the other uh, Stanford swimmers. So. Um, 
whatever you see there, he had written up, you know, strictly for me or was written up for the guys at Santa Clara. Are we allowed to talk about that? Because I heard a little, sure. I heard, I heard some rumors that you two didn't get along. What was, yeah. I, heard, I heard Richard was coaching you at a certain time and then he'd coach, you know, Jenny at a different time and, and you, you two didn't talk. And then the, the crazy thing is you end up being on, on the, on the podium at the Sydney Olympics sharing the, what the bronze medal in the hundred freestyle, right? Yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of crazy. So what happened was, um, I, I had talked to Richard about coming out. He's like, let me talk to the team and see what they say. So he called me back like a few days later and said, they'd love to have you out. I'm like, great. So within two weeks of having this thought in my head and in going for an Olympic team after seven years off, I, I literally was out in California actually living with Jenny the first week. And wow. it was right before, um, I think it was world champs in, in Australia in 99, summer of 99. And um, so I got out there and I, and Ross Geary was, Richard's assistant coach, as was Jason Turcotte. And um, Richard went with, after about a week of being there, or maybe it was two weeks, I don't know, but Richard went to Australia with Jenny just from, so she, she was coaching and um, the, the team, the world championship team, and she was obviously swimming there. And when, when I had first met Jenny, we were on a relay together in 92 and she was supposed to have a great Olympics, Olympic trials and didn't do as well as she was supposed to. And then I retired for those seven years and that's when she really started to swim fast. So right. we really ne never swam against each other like when we were both at our peak. Mm -hmm. And um, so I come in and I start training and then Richard leaves and then and Jenny left with him. And then Jenny took about three weeks off after, stayed in Australia, traveled a little bit and then came back. And in those like five, six weeks that they were gone, um, I started to just started to just pick up and I started feeling right. good. And it felt like, oh, this is like riding a bike. And so when she came back, uh, she started to train and I was basically beating her in practices and she was not happy. And then I kept, just kept getting faster and faster. We went to swim meets, went to one just, you know, I don't know, random swim meet. Uh, I think it was like in Maryland or something. And then we went to a U.S. Open. Uh, I think it was in San Antonio. And I swam really well there. And then from there, we continued on as a team, Stanford team to um, the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. And while I was there, Jenny was so upset. Also, uh, let me just give a little background too. I would always go to Richard's office before uh, practice because I'm the type of person that I don't like surprises. I don't do well with surprises. I get very pissed off with surprises. Right. So I wanna know what practice is. Like, tell me what it is. I can like get ready for it and I can go. Like, I don't like to not know what's in practice. And so I'd go to his office every day before we train and talk to him and he'd tell me what practices and stuff. And I'd do that. And then afterwards I'd stay after practice and work with him. And, they, and the other kids knew that, Jenny knew that. And I don't think they liked it. They never really said anything, but I guess it kind of resentment built up over time. And so by the time we got to the Olympic Training Center, they basically had a meeting without me and as a, as a team without Richard, without me, and then approached Richard before practice at one of the practices and said, we don't want Dara on the team anymore. Uh, mm. she just, she's a distraction and you're paying too much attention to her and not to us. And so they basically kicked me off the team. I had to leave the Olympic, the Olympic training center. Wow. I had to stay in a hotel. I flew back like when I could get my first flight out, uh, to Stanford. I called Mark Schubert, asked if I, he was at USC at the time, asked if I could uh, train with him. He said, we'd love to have you. I told him what happened. And literally as I was packing over those few days, Richard called me and said, have you left? I said, no. He's like, I want to talk to you. I said, okay. So we went to meet like a day before my flight. 
And he said, I think we can work this out. I said, Richard, I, I don't want to train with you anymore. I said, you know, you took a side, you could have stood up and, and said, look, you guys can go and, and talk to me before practice. You can work with, you know, me with your starts and turns after practice, you know, but you just went along with it. And I understand you're, you're the head coach and, um, you know, you have these, these college kids that they still have NCAs coming up and I get that, but you know, you didn't, you didn't really stand up for me. And, and I really don't feel like staying. It's like, well, listen, if I can work it out where I can train you on your own and possibly you can train with Santa Clara, you know, with Jokums and, um, and John Bitter, uh, you know, would you do that? And I said, well, let me just think about it. And he's like, I think this would be very good for you, Dara, because I can train you like four or five workouts one-on-one, um, you know, and then you can train with the guys team, which I love. I mean, I learned really quickly. It's not easy training with women with women. You got to kind of mix it up with the guys. Yeah. Yeah. And so I thought about it a little bit and I said, okay, I'll do that. I called Mark up and said, you know, we work something out. He said, that's fine. And I trained with him. And as that was happening, I was getting faster and faster. Um, and so it kind of backfired on Jenny that he thought, she thought that he kicked me off the team for good, but didn't realize that on his own time, he can do what he wants. And so he trained me. Wow. Yeah. It's incredible yeah. story. But, uh, yeah. I guess, I guess it worked out in the end for, for you in, in terms of what you did at Sydney Olympics. I mean, you had a phenomenal Olympics as well. But was it awkward being on the medal stand with her at that time? Yeah, I, everything was awkward, you know. Um, they tried to sort of keep us apart. Like, I obviously was pissed off about it. Like, how can you not be? But I'm not going to be mean. I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm still a very nice person. And, you know, I kind of understand why she did what she did. But... I also don't understand, like, it's kind of, you can see both sides of the coin. It, it was hard because we go to practice and it really was like an Olympic final, every practice racing each other. And that wasn't conducive for me or for her. So I, I kind of understood that, but the way it went about was very mean and, and ill will. And, um, you know, I got the okay to come out there and it just, it just, it was tough. And so we got to Olympic trials I don't think she swam the 50. I'm not sure if she did, but I won that event. And she, I played second to her at every event that we swam the 50, the 100, I mean, the 100 free and the 100 fly at trials. And so we had to sort of put everything aside and be able to, um, you know, swim in, in, in relays together and swim against each other. And it's funny because I remember seeing the video of the 100 freestyle and, um, I just couldn't believe that we trained, but I was okay with it. And the look on her face was just pure disgust. And when we got into the um, the room where we're supposed to walk up, you know, onto the podium, yeah. uh, uh, Inga DeBron came up to me and said, I want you to stand next to me, not Jenny. And I was like, all right, because, you know, it was really just Inga and Jenny and I, and that was it. And we had to share right. the podium. And then I remember about a month or two later, uh, Mark Spitz called me and said, Hey, you know, I know who won your tie. I'm like, how do you know? And he said, it was like a random call. It's not like I talked to Mark Spitz all the time. It was just a random call. And, um, I said, how do you know? He's like, I was sitting at the Omega timing table and they told me like who won. And I said, well, how do you know? And he said, well, the timing system only goes to a hundredth of a second and the actual computer goes to like a thousandth or ten thousandth or whatever it is wow. and he said so the name that actually pops up on the board first is the person who actually won and he goes your name popped up first i'm like sweet so i never <laughs> said anything to anyone for like years about that but the the funny thing is when we went to olympic trials in 2008 
she was giving the medal for the hunter freestyle and no one expected me to win the hunter freestyle nor did i expect to win and i won and she had to give me the medal it was just oh, so God. awkward you know it was oh, just wow. awkward. yeah so, so there hasn't been i guess there hasn't been any water under the bridge type moments for you guys then well you know what i sent her her mom passed away from from cancer i believe and i sent her a, a card a, a you know uh um, condolence card to her. She never said anything, never said anything after I saw her, but you know, I think we're okay. There's no, I mean, she's a mom. I'm a mom. You know, I think if we see each other, we'll probably be fine. It was never like we would see each other and like walk the other way. It just wasn't super friendly. Yeah. I gotcha. I, look, I'm not judging. Look, I coached, I coached Cesar Cielo to an Olympic gold medal in 2008 in the 50 freestyle, and and he won't come on my podcast because he felt at that time I was coaching Fred Busquet, who was one of the top swimmers in the world as well, and and right. I had a very similar dynamic where each one of them felt like I favoured the other person or what have you. So there's still there's still emotions built up, and I guess maybe that's just a sprinter thing. Yeah, sprinters hang on to things, and there's just a lot of. I thought it was a female thing. So I guess it might be female sprinter. I don't know. It could be whatever it is. It's it's all in the same basket. But yeah, it's I get it. So <laughs> it's just life. But um, well, tell me about what you're doing now. I'm super interested in this. I, I see that you're working with um, Canny Brands. Is that right? Yes. Um, so Canine Brands is a CBD company that the uh, has no THC in it. So it's all legal. A lot of athletes use it for sleep and um, just a little bit of a boost and stuff. And, you know, I was approached by my, actually my trainer who um, was the one who trained me for 08 in 2012. His name's Andy O'Brien. And uh, one of his protégés is uh, Sidney Crosby, who who plays for the Penguins in hockey, and he'd been working with them since he was 13. And so, um, Andy is a very all-natural person, knows everything about. I've never met anyone who's so schooled um, and intelligent about the body and what it can and can't do, and just what you can put in it, um, the different types of training you can do for your body. It's just, I mean, a plethora of knowledge. And so I had just torn my um, quad, my lateral quad off my bone and it rolled oh. up my leg and I had to get like this major oh. surgery. And I just had it and he was in town with the penguins at the time. And so I went down to see him um, before they, they went on the ice and we were talking and I was telling him that I was having so much pain and you know, I'm taking all these, I'm not taking pain meds because I can't take pain meds because they make me sick to my stomach, but like lots of Advil and ibuprofen. It was making me sick to my, that was hurting my stomach. And so um, he was like, well, you know, I want to send you some stuff with this company that I'm working with that I'm on the um, board to, um, to really like the, make sure that the proper ingredients are going in, you know, this product. And I was like, great. I'm like, well, I'm not training anymore. It doesn't really matter. He's like, no, it's, you know, important. They have the right stuff going in, in your body. And I was like, okay. And so I said, what is it? It's called, it's a called can I brands. It's a lot of the hockey players are, are taking it. And I was like, yeah, but does that have THC in it? And he's like, no. And I was like, all right. I said, well, he goes, do you have any issues sleeping? And I'm like, well, yeah, at my age, I definitely do yeah. uh, with the hormones and stuff. Um, you know, it's very hard for me to fall asleep. And he's like, well, they have a great sleep product and they have a great, you know, they have a bunch of different products in their, overall can I brand name, but they have a great sleep product and also a great um, sort of mend and repair product. And he's like, I'll send it to you. Tell me what you think. And then if you want to talk to them, I can, you know, set you up with that. I said, great. So I tried the can I mend, which was a cream and they also have sprays too. And it really worked well on my 
injury. Like it just started to feel better and better when I was using it. And I had my massage person like massaging into me too, and really kind of working out the knot that was in there and the scar tissue was in there. And I was like, wow, this is great. And I said, can they send me some sleep stuff? He's like, yeah, no problem. And they sent it to me. And I mean, it knocked me out. I'm like, oh my God, this stuff's right. awesome. And it's not like an ambient where it knocks you out like right away. It's like a slow knockout, but it gives right. you that full night's sleep. And I was like, oh my God, this is great. Yeah, so drowsy when you wake up. Oh yeah. You're not that drowsy at all. And, and I was like, this is awesome. And so they asked if I you know, wanted to be one of their ambassadors. I said, yeah, you know, and I'm really conscientious of what I will endorse. And I have to really believe in it to endorse it. I'm not one of those people like, oh yeah, give me money and I'll do this. It, that's no. not just who I am. So I'm a firm believer in it. And the CBD brand is really popular right now and the fact that this one doesn't have thc in it and athletes can use it too i'm just a big advocate of it i'm a big advocate of just putting clean in your body and and competing clean yeah i guess that's the fear for a lot of athletes is making sure that the thc doesn't turn up is is yeah. there i mean is there guarantees from the company that that it's not going to be in the product at all or is it still one of those situations where it's like you know take it at your own risk well, I think that when you talk to the, um, the, the, the guy who is in charge, Chris Lord of, um, can I brands, you know, you can, cause one of the things that Richard did with us is, you know, you're always at your own risk. You can, you can right. say, Hey, you call the USOC and say, this is what I'm taking. Like, Oh, it's a supplement. You have to take it your own risk. So they're always going to say that right, right. what Richard did, which I loved is he, if there was a supplement that he really believed in, he would call the CEO or the person who invented it and say, look, I have these, and I remember distinctively doing this with this one brand. And I, I don't remember what it was, but I just remember this phone call is he called them and said, look, um, my athletes are taking this and we need to know that there's nothing more in this or nothing less in this, that everything that you're saying is on the label is on the label. Because if not, we will sue you and your name will be out there for giving tainted Right. you know, supplements to our athletes. And he was like a huge advocate. And he'd do that for any supplement that we would take. Right. And so uh, with this brand in particular, you know, you definitely can call the um, CEO and he'd be happy to talk to you and tell you about the different athletes who are taking it and that everything then there is clean and there is no THC in there. All right. That's, that's assuring for sure. So yeah. what I could tell when I got on the online, I could see there was products for energy, recovery, wellness, and sleep. So it seems like a lot of it had to do with like a, a dropper or um, um, a spray or a cream. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It looked like good stuff. So, I mean, it, it's just another way for athletes these days to get the recovery they need. I mean, there's so many we're always looking for ways to recover. And I guess that's one of the things that I really noticed about you when I was watching you and studying you, you know, in the latter stages of your career, I was like, this is so fascinating to me that she is so fit and so fast, but what is she doing? Like, and, and I kind of look at other people like, like, like Katinka Hosu right now, like Katinka can go around the world and swim in all these multiple events. And she was just doing it differently. And you, and, and you are certainly one of those people that were doing that. And so when I was looking at you, I could tell that it wasn't just about the swimming up and down the pool. There was so much more layers to your performance. And and from what I read, you also invested a lot of money in your performance, you know, in terms of making sure that you had the right nutrition and the right stretching and the right coaching and the right recovery. I mean, you were putting money into being the best athlete you could possibly be, right? 
Yeah, you know, I, in my eight four was just I was this punk kid bouncing off the wall, seventeen years old, in awe of everyone else, kind of forgetting I was in Olympic games. But eighty eight, I had, had an eating disorder in college, and so that really sort of um, inhibited my performance. Like I just I I didn't swim well. Like, I had no energy. Excuse me. What brought that on? Um, well, we had to make weight in college, and right. um, yeah. I just. I was so exhausted from the workouts we were doing that if you didn't make weight, you had to do extra morning workouts. And that's just the last thing I wanted to do. And I just, someone had showed me how you can binge and purge and you can still make weight. I'm like, Oh, that's great. And you know, I'm still like an 18 year old kid, you know? So I just, uh, I didn't know right from wrong. And I just started doing it, it became habitual and I really had it for like five years. And so I, it was really sort of, um, it sort of, it, it definitely affected my college career and it by a hundred percent, affected uh, my Olympics in, in um, 88. And then, you know, 92, I came back and I still think that uh, I was a little bit overtrained in those Olympic games. And then, you know, in, in 2000, I was still kind of young at 33 and still doing the workouts I was supposed to do. But as I told you earlier in this podcast, when I, um, when I came back for 08, I just, my body physically couldn't do what the other kids were doing. And after I was mentally able to wrap my head around that it's okay, I'll still be fast, um, I had to think of ways to think outside the box and surround myself with people who would think outside the box to get me to where I could be, where I can compete with these kids. And I didn't know I was going to do it. I, I was able to get sponsorship um, for each year that I was doing this, which I was very grateful and thankful for. So I was able to pay for this. Um, I, I had done stretching in the past when I was training for 2000 and was able to hire under that regime, um, some stretching trainers that trained under the head guy who trained me in 2000 um, to be able to help my recovery. And that recovery was really about um, doing the stretching as, as we were stretching, rotating the muscles opposite of the way we were stretching. And it almost felt like taking a wet rag as if you were to rotate the water with both hands the opposite ways and get the water right. out of the rag. That's what it felt like they were doing with my muscles, whether they were stretching, you know, my shoulders and rotating my biceps or doing my quads, they would go opposite ways with their hands. And it's almost like they were like just, um, turning the, the lactic acid out of my muscles right. when they were doing that. So that was definitely good. Um, my strength coach, it was really funny because when I first hired him, this was the guy, Andy O'Brien, who was working with the at the time, the Panthers, and I was introduced to him and, and met with him and my coach met with him. And my coach, Michael, really was just kind of listening, but just more interested in eating lunch. But I was really listening to him to see, you know, what he was saying and his philosophy. I'm like, yeah, you know, let's try it. It was September of 06. And I had a little less than two years before trials. So um, the first workout I did with him, he said, well, do what you would normally do. And so I'm doing squats and bench press and, you know, trying to impress him lifting all this weight. And he's like, okay. And then he's like, this is what I'd like for you to do after like 45 minutes of doing this. He gives me um, two, three pound weights, has me lay on my stomach on a, like a BOSU, like round Swiss, not BOSU ball, but a Swiss ball. Mm -hmm. And um, I started to, um, with both hands, do the letters. Like I would make T's with my hands and Y's and, you know, I was lifting my arms up, laying on my stomach on these balls. 
And Michael walks in, he's like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, I don't know, he's having me do this. And so Michael started to watch a little bit. Then he had me like on my knees, balancing on this ball, you know, um, holding a ball and lifting it up, or he would throw a ball at me. I'd try to catch it while balancing on my knees and just all these like weird things, like with small little weights and, and, but definitely engaging your core. And, and Michael was like shaking his head. He's like, I don't know what the hell you're doing. And he walked out, you know? And when I got done, I, I told Andy, I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna try this for a year and see if this works because it's something different. Um, I have a feeling it's not gonna put like too much mass on me, but it will still keep me lean and really work my core. And I mean, obviously that was only two examples of the stuff we were doing, but um, Michael just could not believe it. And I, I, I went up to Michael, I said, listen, your expertise is in the pool, Andy's is in the gym, in the weight room. Why don't I do this for a year? If it doesn't go well after nationals in 07, in the summer of 07, I'll go back to what you want me to do. But I have a good year to try this. And he was like, okay, deal. So we go to nationals and I break like the American record in the 50 and, you know, I win the 100 free and it was just going times I'd never done before. And he came up to me after that meeting. He's like, Derek, can I have Andy's number? I'm like, sure, no problem. So then he started to have his, um, his kids do it, but it was really different, but you had to, the way I look at it is as a swimmer, you have to believe in your coach, whether it's your swim coach, your, right. your um, you know, trainer, like whatever coach you're working with, you have to believe in them. Yes. You have to believe in them. And then the people who you're working with have to work together and not have an ego to think, well, what you're doing is the only thing that's going to work this summer. It's like, mm -hmm. they all have to put their egos aside and, maintain that one goal, which for me was making the Olympic team again at 41 years old. And we were able to do that with no egos, you know, and we were able to do that to all work together and have a plan like Andy, um, excuse me, Michael would tell Andy, okay, this is when we're going to start tapering, you know, right. for this meet, and this is what we're going to do. You know, you do what you need to do, but know that this is when we're resting. And Andy still had me in the gym at the Olympic games doing like reps of three or four, just to mm -hmm. keep you know, my, my muscles engaged, yeah. you know, when most people were taking like two weeks off from weight training and stuff because they thought, okay, we need to stop weights because, you know, the Olympic games are coming up. Yeah. So it was just very different the way the philosophy of what everyone was, was tuned into working with me. Very similar things to what I do with Bruno Fratis now and coaching him. You know, we, we stay in the gym up to, you know, a day before his race and just touching some things, but, but feeling that, um, power and the pop. Uh, in terms of things that you did in the pool to help you get faster, what are you? What are some of those things that you feel like are paramount? You've got to be doing these things, or things that you felt were necessary to your training that enabled you to get faster. Um, well, I I know something for butterfly for sure is swimming with the parachutes. Right. Uh, Richard, you know, it's funny. I only trained freestyle, and I actually did a lot of backstroke because my the front of my body was always so exhausted in my deltoids and shoulders that a lot of like the 100 sets we would do or whatever would always be free back or mm -hmm. if i did 200 is 100 free you know 50 back 50 free like long course like i always incorporated backstroke because i was always so exhausted in the front of my body and yep. um but but in 2000 i remember richard we went to the us open and in in um december so we were like seven months before trials and he's like, hey, you can't just swim the 50 and 100. You have to have another event. How about 200 free? I'm like, forget that. I'm not swimming the 200 free. That's way too long. He's like, well, then at national, you swim the 100 fly. I'm like, fine, okay. So we started doing like just parachutes in, in the diving well, which was like right. 
know, 15, 20 yards or whatever. And we do almost like every day or every day, other day, just do butterfly with parachutes, never do a 50 in the pool, nothing. And that was it. And I ended up qualifying for the hunter butterfly. I got second at trials with not even trying to, he just wanted me to swim the hunter fly. Cause it was the first day. And, um, just to get it kind of out of my system and get the nerves out and then wait for the hunter free and the 50. And I qualified second. I was like, Oh my God. So he made me swim it at, at the Olympic games, but that was something that definitely helped a butterfly and, um, definitely cords, like doing cords. We did cords like almost every day. Um, we did a lot of, um, stuff where we'd be floating in the water with um our snorkel on and we'd be almost at the tension of where the cord was and he'd whistle and we'd do like right. just fast you know starts like start swimming with that we did a lot of paddles um believe it or not to, to get the upper body strength and we did a lot of stuff with snorkel a lot of kick sets with snorkel because if you think about it, the snorkel is about you know that's how much air you can breathe in mm -hmm. when you do snorkel training and we did a lot of that too so um, kick sets, especially because your legs would just be ex exhausted. We did a lot of stuff where we'd, um, go to the deep end of the pool and, you know, do sets where we kick up and do butterfly kick and, you know, streamline with our arms and come down. Um, even do that freestyle, like a lot of just explosive stuff. So, um, uh, at the, uh, for turns and we had to do turns, we would be at the wall with our fingertips at the wall and we kick as hard as we can. And then he'd whistle and try to get that reaction with doing turns. So a lot of it was reaction stuff. A lot of speed, power, reaction yeah. type things. Yeah. Yeah. Right. In the gym, like a really cool thing in the gym is he had the bungee, like the, um, the cord you use, you know, in the pool mm -hmm. that has the strap around your waist. We would use that in the gym, tie it up to something that would, you know, be hard, like almost like um, a rack bar or whatever. We tie right. it up and then I would get down um, on the on the floor and uh, and where it would be like resistant and be like in a track start. And he'd say, right. take your mark. And I'd bend down and go and I'd, I'd push off and there'd be a bench in front of me and I'd hold on to the bench or whatever. So we did a lot of that stuff. Reaction time as if we were on blocks, but on the ground in the gym, too. That's interesting. That brings up an interesting point. What what do you feel like was your strength in the fifty freestyle, and maybe what was what was your weakness? Where did you feel vulnerable, and where did you feel like I got these girls here? Um, the reaction was probably the quickest. I, I know I had one even at forty one. I had one of the best reactions. Um, once I got into the water, that was my worst. Was underwater because I came from old school where you didn't do dolphin kiss. You just kicked once and came up and started swimming. And so Gennadius, who used to work um, at USA Swimming um, and would do all the physiological stuff with us, when I was out there with um, Layla and Coach Loberg, we went out one time for a couple of weeks to train. And he's like, oh, Dara, I'll fix your underwaters. And so he had me doing this stuff. He's like, forget it. Do, 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 do two dolphin kicks and pop up because your underwaters are horrible. You actually swim faster on top of the water than you do underwater. It's better for you to do one or two kicks, come up and just start swimming. So that was probably my worst was underwater. Any kind of underwater stuff was bad. I also have asthma, so I can't hold my breath long. One of the things that I think I was really good at was actually breathing. And um, I would go into oxygen debt when I would swim a 50 freestyle. And so he timed me and did all this um, sort of testing of what it would be like holding my breath, doing a 50 and breathing every stroke doing a 50 and um, or every third stroke doing a 50 and actually breathing was just as fast as holding your breath. So for me, um, 
people with coaches would come up to me like, why are you breathing so much at a 50? I'm like, cause I don't, I don't go into oxygen debt. Like I, I swim just as fast breathing as I do not breathing. And right. this way I at least get oxygen. So one of the things that, that did happen, I remember in 2000 is I was, I always like left side breathe and Randy at um, one of my meets, not Randy, excuse me, Richard at one of my meets came up to me and said, we need to alternate breathing the 50. I'm like, and this is when I was supposed to hold my breath. I'm like, what are you nuts? Like, I'm not even going to qualify if I, um, if I, you know, uh, alternate breathe. He's like, just do it. He goes, do you care about this meet or do you care about Olympic trials? I'm like, mm -hmm. fine. It was a Santa Clara meet. I'm like, okay, fine. So I breathe every third stroke. And what was happening is I was rotating really well on one side, but then coming flat. So I wasn't right. rotating evenly on, on both sides. Right. So, um, we get to finals and he was watching me warm up. He's like, you need to keep alternate breathing. I'm like, but I'm not going to win this event. I got Amy Van Dyken, Jenny Thompson. He's like, I don't care. He goes, do you care what you do here? Do you care about the Olympic trials, Olympic games? I'm like, fine. So I swim it and I alternate breathe and I break the American record and I wasn't tapered or anything. And I was like, oh my God. And Richard's like, you're going to breathe this way for the rest of the time and through the Olympic games. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so, um, so that's what I did. And so when I trained in 08, uh, we did the same thing. We did a lot of alternate breathing, but then when I got tested, I realized that on my worst side is my right side. I'd actually don't lift my head up as high to right. breathe because I'm so used to breathing on my left side. So when they tested me, they said, actually breathe every fourth on your right side and you're faster that way. So I ended up doing that. So um, that was probably the best thing that I did in my race was my breathing because I was able to not go into oxygen debt. Sounds like to me a part of your longevity and, and your success over many years was your willingness to try different things as well, like your openness. It seems like you weren't stuck on one particular way of training in the pool or out of the pool. You're open to experimentation. You're open to growth. And, and it's like you have this growth mindset of like, let me try this. Let me see if this works. Um, but using all the experience from previous you know, preparations in making the decisions to what you use going forward as well. Well, Randy Reese was really one of the first coaches who was so innovative. I mean, his workouts were so hard, but he always thought outside the box. And that was one of the coolest things about training with Randy is he had us doing some crazy things. And a lot of things that he had us do now, teams are doing all the time. Um, maybe they're more advanced in, in the equipment and stuff, but but Randy was very innovative with that. And I definitely credit him with that. But, you know, it's again, it's all about believing in your coach you have to believe in what they're doing and you can ask them questions about it and they'll answer it. But, but you have to really believe them. And if, if, if you have a doubt, talk to them. If you don't just continue to believe in them, because that's what I would do. Like Richard had some crazy things going on too. And he was all about the supplements and all these crazy things. And I would, I would question him about it. But then once he explained it to me, I'm like, all right, let's do this. And, and that's the attitude you have to have is first of all, find a coach that, that, you know, wants to try new innovative things, uh, but also believe in them. And and that's really tough sometimes for a swimmer to do because a lot of swimmers don't have good communications with their coaches. Right. Yeah. But it also seems like you took control of um, part of your preparation in terms of what you felt like you, you needed as well. I mean, obviously back in the eighties, uh, there wasn't really a, such thing as, as sprint sprinters or sprint training or, you know, sprinters didn't really have the respect that they, they command these days in terms of, um, you know, 
I'm a sprinter and this is what I do and this is how I do it. And, and it's valued. Um, it certainly wasn't back then. So there must have been a point in time where you kind of had to stick your neck out for yourself as well and, and say, this is what I feel like I need, right? Yeah. You know, I really felt like I did sprint training when I was younger, like younger, younger. And then, and with, with Schubert, I did too. And then after that, when I went to college and for, and then 88 Olympics and 92 Olympics, when I trained with Mitch Ivey, I didn't feel like I was training like a sprinter. And I think right. the deceiving part is that my stroke is very long. Mm -hmm. And one of the things when you asked earlier about um, what was the better parts of my races is I had a really good feel for the water. And so I didn't have to turn over as fast. And um, I, I probably got the most distance per stroke out of anyone in, in the 50 freestyle when I, when I would swim that. And so that really, you know, worked to my advantage. And, um, uh, I forgot what the question was. I started rambling and I forgot what the question was. What was the question? Sorry. I forget too. It's okay. We're just chatting. Um, but listen, uh, well, let me ask you a different one. Okay. I'll ask you a different one. I'll ask you, I'll ask you something Sorry. else. No, it's fine. In terms of the ra a race or a, a particular race in your career, is there one that stands out to you where you feel like you, you really nailed that? I would have to say the 50 in, in, um, in Beijing. Uh, I, I had qualified. Yeah, damn, you came so close to winning that thing. I did. And here's the thing is, is I qualified in the hundred and I didn't think that would be eight races in eight days for me. And there was no way that my body at 41 could could do that and i thought i had the better chance at winning um the 50 freestyle that i did the 100 so i i took myself out of the 50 and concentrate concentrated on the two real i took myself on the 100 and concentrated on two on the two relays now what had happened and i had i had a really quick reaction on the start in trials but i was the last one to come up in in the race um from underwater so um after every practice during training camp I worked on my starts like every single practice. And I had different coaches come by and help me. It just wasn't Mark Schubert who was coaching me there. It was all different coaches would come up and say, how did that look? Or, you know, and, and they always had a, the correct starting block that we were going to use at, at the games with us. So they traveled with it. So so I, I worked, worked, worked with that. And then um, I my stroke was was good. I ate the way I was supposed to eat. I slept the way I was supposed to sleep. And then the night before the race, um, I remember going to warm up. And Phelps had swum his hunter butterfly. And as we all know in that race, everyone thought he was he was gonna lose because he was so far behind. And then even when he touched the wall, we didn't think that he won. Yeah. And when when I, I was in the warm-up area and they had the scoreboard in there and the television set, um, I was I thought he lost. And I looked up and as you know, he won by a hundredth of a second. And the first thought in my head was, oh my God, that poor person who lost by a hundredth of a second, that's gotta be the worst feeling in the world. And so then my race comes up and I see Mark that night, the night that right after that race. And I ate, went and went to Olympic village and I, and I ate, and then I, I tried to go to sleep and it was hard for me to fall asleep because I was nervous, but I started filing my nails a little bit and just try to do things to make myself tired. Then I finally fell asleep and, and Mark and I talked about, um, going to, uh, the pool first thing in the morning because the race was at 10 because of the time change and everything and so um he said let's just take the first bus i'm like great so 6 45 a.m bus was the first bus in 08 and we get to the pool literally no one was there it was you can hear the lights buzzing from being on and uh bob costas was in his little booth up above doing his tv stuff and there was like a janitor mopping the deck and that was it and i was like oh my god this is awesome so i get in lane four because i didn't really 
warm up in the pool because it was always just a nightmare warming up in there. So I get in lane four and I do a start and I swim like a 300 and I literally memorize every nook and cranny in the pool of where I would be in my race. I get out, wait about an hour, I stretch a little bit, take a hot shower, and I get in and do my normal warm-up in the warm-up pool, do a few sprints and and some and get up to some of my race. And I remember walking in the ready room and seeing all these young kids in there. Mm. And they are so nervous. And mind you, I am so nervous too, but they're all thinking that this is the most important thing they're ever gonna do in their in their life. <laughs> and for me, I've got my two-year-old daughter at home and she's the most, most important thing to me. Yeah. So my, my nervousness was kind of in perspective. I didn't put so much emphasis on the race. And this was also the first time that I was ever seated first going into an Olympic final in an individual event. So that was, that was mm. new for me. Wow. And so, um, I walk out. Um, I don't like do the visualization or stuff because I'm the type of person that if I do everything I'm supposed to do in warm up and in workouts, that I should be fine. I don't want to overthink my race because if I start thinking, I get more nervous. Right. So I put my music on. I'm looking up at the stands, you know, just like kind of whatever. And I get on the blocks and I and I try to nail my start and I swim my race and you know I'm feeling really good and I'm feeling high in the water and. I'm trying not to look when I'm breathing to see where everyone is and which is a mistake that we all do when we're swimming. And I come into the wall and I touch the wall and I'm feeling pretty good. And, you know, I'm looking up and I, and I'm squinting cause I can't really see the scoreboard cause of my age. And, and I see a two by my name and I'm like, all right, that's cool. You know, I got second place. My best individual event was placing in uh, was in Sydney, which was third place. All my silvers and golds in my whole career came from relays. Right. And I'm like, all right. And then I look at the times, and I see 24.06, which British Stefan has, and I have a 24.07. And I'm like, oh my God. And the first thought in my head was, what could I have done? And I started just rattling my head, what could I have done? And I get out and I go to NBC to do that interview. And they're only allowed one question because I literally have 30 minutes from when the race started to do this question, go warm down, do the medal ceremony, go back in the ready room uh, to anchor the relay. And because there's only you know, two events that day. And so, um, so I, I, I get out and I'm walking over to the pool. I'm really pissed off and, and I get in the warm down pool and I put my fins on cause I always warm down with fins and I'm doing some backstroke and Mark Schubert's like waving over me. I'm like, what? And he's like, you need to get that race out of your head and get ready for this relay. Cause you have three other girls in, in the USA, you know, contingency relying on you. And I'm like, you know what? He's right. Get the thought out of my head, do everything I'm supposed to do, go anchor the relay, get done with that. But then, you know, the Olympics are over and it's in my head. And I, I have that 17 hour flight back. I go to the Great Wall the next day, the day after that. I'm flying home for 17 hours and that race is in my head. I'm like, I'm never going to get over this. I'm going to have to now go at 45 years old and try for another Olympic Games because <laughs> I missed that gold medal by a hundredth of a second. And by the time I got home, I realized that I gave it everything I had. I left no stones unturned. It wasn't my day to win the hundred freestyle that day. And that taught me a lot because I am so competitive that I really didn't know how I was going to, you know, not literally, but you know what I mean? Live with myself, yeah. um, having lost that race and how I was going to get that race out of my head. And it just took that 17 hour flight for me to be by myself and think about what could I have done? And there's really nothing I could have done. Like I gave it everything I had. Right. I had to be okay with that. And that's probably my, my most favorite race. Now, that's interesting. You, you put it in that perspective because I, uh, my best time is 22.07. So yours is ah, 22.07, mine's 22.07. Nice. Um, yeah. But, 
but I had a similar experience at the Olympics in in 04, finishing six in the in the 50 freestyle, and and I got beat by five guys, and I and I, I was upset that I finished six, but then in retrospect, looking back on it, um, I, I just felt to myself like, first of all, you're the sixth fastest swimmer in the world, and and there's only five guys that beat you, but like you did everything you could possibly do. There was nothing else you could have right. done, and it's just that's the way the race worked out, and so. At some point, you have to live with it. I'm. I think I could have been a lot happier though, living with the silver medal. Though that would have been pretty nice. <laughs> but a hundredth does still rub you the wrong way, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, that's a, that's all right. Do, do you consider yourself a mentally tough woman? You know, I I used to be called like the choke queen because I'd always die at the end of my races. And then when I went out to train with uh, Randy, not Randy, excuse me, Richard, um, I was having problems. Like I was wheezing and. And I knew I had asthma and he had me meet with a, um, underwater, a, a doctor who specializes with athletes who train like underwater and stuff like for scuba and stuff like that. So I met with him and, um, he put me on a regimen that really helped my breathing. That was in like within the legal limits of what I'm supposed to do when you have asthma. And it was amazing. I can actually finish my races. And I realized, wait, I don't choke. This is just because I, ran out of breath in my races and would just die at the end of my races because I actually had asthma and didn't know it. So um, I would say like after I've realized that, that it wasn't a mental thing I was that was holding me black, it was it was um, a physical thing. And yeah. so I that I definitely gained more confidence. But people have to understand that I'm just as nervous as everyone else going into that race. I have like bathroom issues the morning of and can't eat, you know, and just like everyone else. But it's just a matter of how you put that towards your race. You have to be positive that if you've done everything you're supposed to do in your training, there's really nothing else you can do that day. You can do all the visualization and all the thinking and positive thinking you can do. But if, if, if you don't at least know in your head, not think, but know that you've done everything you can do, you should be able to go out there and enjoy the race and not be so crazed about it. One of the things for me that I always took pride in was my, was my frame. You know, like I felt like as a sprinter, that can be part of your intimidation. That, that can be part of your, also your armor and your confidence. When I looked at you, uh, like I said, in, in around, around 2008, when I started to really pay attention to you, when I looked at you around that time, I looked at you and I was like, wow, this woman is the fittest woman I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, did you know walking around that you you had something special that you had a gift that you that it, that it was intimidating as well? I, I actually I didn't. Um, you know, you walk into a pool deck and you see all these swimmers that have just incredible bodies, and you know, I have a little bit of self consciousness. You know, having had a kid and um, you know a little bit my lower abdomens and stuff. But I mean, you couldn't tell by pictures, but. Um, you know, I didn't really think about that until people started making a big deal out of it. And I think people just assume, God, she must be doing like thousands of sit-ups a day. But one of the things that my trainer, Andy incorporated was every single exercise movement I did, mm. I incorporated my core. Right. So I didn't have to do hundreds of sit-ups a day or whatever. I was using my core all the time. And that's really what got my core so strong. And, and you know, until I, I remember, um, not a lot was said and done until I went to nationals after about, you know, 10, 11 months of, of making this comeback in, in, in August of 2007. And, um, 
Swimming World put me on the cover and they asked me to wear a two piece. I'm like, why? You know, and they said, just, you know, wear a two piece. I'm like, okay. And then when I saw the magazine come out, I'm like, oh my God, I look ripped. You know, I'm like, this is great. And then once people saw that, then it just kind of like took off. And then like Time Magazine put me on the cover with a two piece on and my, you know, and that's what everyone was talking about was like my abs. But, you know, I have to tell you, I, I from, from having my eating disorder in college, my first right. year of college, to starting to train with Richard in 99, my eating habits changed so much because Richard sat me down and said, look, protein, vegetables, and fruits are very important to you. Like you can have carbs, it's okay. If you want a burger, eat it without the bun, have the fries. If you want frozen yogurt, that has more sugar than ice cream, have a scoop of ice cream. If you, you know, and he kind of changed my whole philosophy on thinking and realized that I'm going to try to eat well, but if I want a piece of cake, I'm going to have a piece of cake. If I want some ice cream, I'm going to have some ice cream. And, and I would be really upset at the training tables when they would take the desserts out. I'm like, look, I eat desserts and this is what my training is. So you need to bring some desserts back, you know? And, and I think people were surprised because I was older, I was a woman and I was eating whatever I wanted to eat. Um, but I just think that the training that I had with, with the swimming and the, the you know the core in the in the training room and in, in the gym the strength training and then the stretching i was doing i think really made my body so different than it ever been but the the really ironic thing is people started saying oh she must be taking drugs like she can't look like this like you know and whatever and there i would sometimes post pictures of my brother who was built exactly like me who was ripped in his abs had skinny legs had like ripped you know upper body and stuff and it's just it really is a genetic thing, but a lot of it had to do with the way I was training too. Well, that's the thing is the, the easy comeback is like, all right, spend a week with me and do all the training I do and, and follow me. I mean, you're welcome to come along and do exactly what I, you won't be able to hang, you know, and that, but, but that must've been tough. So, you know, I'm sure that people were throwing that around even just for your age in terms of, you know, she's 41. There's no way she could be swimming this fast at that age. Um, you know, throwing around the drug allegations. Was that, was that something that was swirling around at the time? It wasn't until um, Michael came up to me after nationals in 2000. Are you still there? Yeah, I lost your sound for one second. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I got you. Okay. Yep. okay. Um, well, it, it wasn't in my head, and I never even thought about it until Michael had said, hey, you know, people are talking about you, you know, post nationals in 2007. I'm like, oh, that's great. He's like, no, no, not in a good way. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, they, they're saying that you're taking drugs. I'm like, what? Mm. And and so imagine training your whole life and someone telling you you're not doing it the right way and putting your right. heart and soul into it and someone telling you you're not doing it the right way. So that was when we were going, like a few weeks later, Layla and Michael and I were going to Colorado Springs to do the, some training. And um, when I got tested and stuff, and, and Michael and I went specifically to the new head of USADA which, as you know, is a U.S. anti-doping agency, and his name was Travis Tiger, and he's the one who eventually took Lance Armstrong down. Right. And we went and had a meeting with him and said, "Look, you know, people are talking about me. Is there any way you can do like special testing or do anything you want, like to show I'm doing this the right way?" He's like, "Let me think about it. I'll get back to you." And then in January of 2008, they came up with this program that I don't think a lot of people know, where they took two two athletes from each sport, took about 38 vials of blood within three weeks, and started running they randomly testing us you know, up until trials and after trials and stored the blood. So if anything ever came out 
um, like new testing procedures or people were, you know, cheating in different ways, they can go back and test these vials of blood and see if we were cheating. As you know, you mm -hmm. know, some athletes have been caught from like three or four years ago. Yeah. So I was really adamant about, about trying to clear my name, but there's always going to be someone who doesn't believe you. And my philosophy was if Jack Nicholas can win a master's at 46 years old and Nolan Ryan could pitch a no hitter at 44 years old, why can't a 41 year old mom make an Olympic team? So that's kind of what my philosophy was. Yeah. I mean, it's the right philosophy, but in terms of your tenacity, where, where did this come from? Was this something you were born with or was this uh, part of the, the way that your parents raised you? I got kids of my own and it's, it's that it's, it's a tough balance, right? Trying to get this, get this right. You want your kids to be ambitious and tenacious and to be competitive and, 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 and it's very hard to teach that, right? Yeah, believe me, I try to teach my, my daughter too. And I figured she'd inherit it from me, but um, yeah, you know, it, it's tough. I think it's in you. I mean, from the minute I started walking and doing what I needed to do, um, I had to be the first one in the car, the first one done eating dinner, the, like I had to be first at everything. Right. And I still, this day, like, like when I'm driving, I have to like to sort of calm myself down because my daughter's starting to drive and she's picking up my habits. I'm like, oh my God, I don't want her to see this. And so it's just something that's inside of me where I have to win at whatever I do. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, well, listen, I've really appreciated getting to know you more. Um, like I said, I've been a fan from a distance and, um, and it's good to sit down with you and kind of learn more about your psyche and your, your career. And what's next for you? Where are you? What are you doing in your life? What are you excited about right now? Well, I think now since COVID's over almost, um, I'm starting back to give motivational talks, which is really what my passion is. Like, I love that. Right. Um, so I travel around the country and give talks to corporations, to high schools, to swim team, like whatever it is. I, I just love doing that. And then I obviously, you know, I'm the, the uh, spokesperson for Can I Brand, so I'm going to continue doing that. Um, you know, COVID has put a damper pretty much in everything. And so I'm hoping to get back and do some work with um, Princess Charlene on her drowning prevention program mm -hmm. um, from Monaco. And, you know, just got little things here and there, being a mom, taking my daughter to all the cross brain games and practices and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I, I'm keeping busy, a um, little TV here and there, but, you know, I always like to do more, but I'm keeping busy. Are you proud of everything you've done in terms of, you know, your career from, from 17 to 41, your, your Olympic career? You, do you look back on any, with any regrets or are you totally proud of the whole situation? You know, I'm good with it. I, there are things that I wouldn't want to change. Like, like look at it from my eating disorder. It, it definitely was a bad, hard, dark time in my life, right. but it's made me who I am and it's taught me a lot of things. And like, honestly, if I didn't have my eating disorder and I wasn't so overtrained and I really like swum well, like maybe I wouldn't have been in the sport as long as I was, right. you know, because I, that gold medal in an individual event always eluded me. So, you know, maybe I wouldn't have swum for as long as I did. So for me, being in, an, in, a, in a sport for as long as I was is probably something that is the most rewarding thing to me and hopefully has opened doors to other moms out there or athletes who thought they were too old and know that you don't really have to put an age limit on your dreams unless yeah. you're in menopause, of course. <laughs> I love it. Well, listen, I appreciate your time again. Thanks for taking the time to share and um, good luck with everything. All right. Thank you so much, Brett. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dara. I'm giving away not one, but two swim nerd pace clocks on the first night of US Olympic trials. 
Find the link in the show notes to enter.